You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Black Coffee is a podcast hosted by Kari Frazier and Frida Sampson Weekly. Weekly, Frida and Kari welcome guests to discuss the rich history of Black leadership, entrepreneurship, artistry, and social justice. Welcome, welcome back from a long hiatus, but we are back in full effect with the Black Coffee podcast talking about history of Detroit, different things in and around Detroit, and as always, my sister in arms of so many different things that's cool in and around Detroit and just style and coolness. <laughs> Freda Sampson, how you feeling? I'm so good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you again. Thank you. Thank you. I'm ready to go, man. Thank you. And this is a part of the inaugural Detroit is Different Festival. Uh, it was just a podcast that just ended. Uh, community, shout out to Audra, Val, and the team there saying peace, peace. And uh, we, we're mixing up a lot of different things as we do. And today it is someone young making history. Or I'm going to say young, but actually we're getting older. As, uh, that's what, that's what, that's what my That's what my little homies told me. They're like, you old. <laughs> she was in high school with me. Right. She was in high school with me, but uh, right now she is taking on other other roles and leadership, um, many different fields, but definitely from something we talk about, the faith-based community. A woman in the pew today is still one of those things that's still like such a big block. So I was like, she needs to meet Frida anyway. Yes. Yeah. Just to well, connect on that this. energy. Yes. Yeah, this is perfect. Reverend Sharice Butler, or as I always knew, it was like, Sharice, what up though? Right, right, right. <laughs> what up though? <laughs> All right, so uh, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, everything is everything. So... I guess we start this journey as uh, your family. Uh, what's your tie? What's your family's ties to the city of Detroit uh, when it comes to just being here? So my family ties to the city of Detroit. Ooh. I, I tend to be the historian. So okay. I want to say it's like a 1911-ish. Okay, that's um, a minute. That's a minute. <laughs> um, well, my granddad is a lifelong Detroiter. Um, he was born here in the 30s. And so we've been here, I don't I wouldn't say I've been here all my life, but my family has been here at least several generations. His dad um, came here from Chicago. His mom came from St. Louis. And then my grandparents came from the South. And so Detroit, was that, you know, depression era uh, meeting place for my family. And so I think the really good thing of having my granddad, he'll be 85 tomorrow. And so okay. if you hang out with this guy, he is a Detroit historian. Okay. You, you cannot ride down the street and not hear, and he's not going to point and say, you know, this is the old such and such. And so they refer to Detroit as to how it was in the 40s and 50s. And I have to remind him and my grandma, I'm like, I'm young. So they'll be like, they'll be like, go over there on Mount. And it's like, that is not the street name anymore. Exactly. <laughs> it's that deep. It was something the other day. We were talking about the DNR in Millican State Park, which is now, you know, all completely modern. And they're talking about some factory that used to be down on the river. And I'm like... Wow. What factory? The Riverwalk? Oh, it's, it's keeping that history alive, yeah, right? So. That's so perfect. So have you always lived in Detroit? I lived in Detroit up until 2001. Lived in New York City for 14 years. And so now I've been back four. Okay, how come? How come you came back to Detroit? Um, 
Family. Family brings brought me back. Um, and I was at a place that I needed to be home. Um, I think that having gone through school, you know, life, whatever had happened. And so when I came back, I didn't know that I was coming to stay. Um, <laughs> I came back, um, got re kind of connected with my family because I had been gone for so long. I'm 31 years old when I come back. And um, ironically, I was like, Detroit is different. Hilarious. <laughs> I love that. We queue you up for that. <laughs> it really, I had no cue. But it was like, I was like, well, hmm. And then I wasn't. This is sh- not the Detroit I remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'd come home to visit. But as I came home as an adult and got reacquainted with the city, um, I knew that there was a place for me here. And I, I think my first year, I questioned, was I, well, you know, would I stay? Um, but I got, I, I, ironically, I just got sucked back into the community. My grandmother had always been like community organizer, union organizer. And so kind of hanging out with her a little bit, I got caught in these community meetings. And like I said, caught, you know, you go and you'll meet two people and then you're <laughs> connected with the next one. The next thing you know, I'm like helping out with the, it was a 16, so 16 campaign. I'm kind of like passing out things, but not, wasn't sure that I would even get involved um, intensely in even like Detroit politics or community organizing. And, you know, the rest is history. Um, It was, it was definitely um, just a revitalization for me coming home, Um, coming home and seeing, um, just the overall revitalization of the town, but just the, there was something healing about being home. That's interesting, so the healing, is, is it because of the emotional connection, uh, emotional spiritual connection because family and, and home is home, wherever you're from, home is home, right? Yeah. And so there is always a significant spiritual component to that. But besides the revitalization, um, what, what else was it that really made you want to stay for sure? Um, so it was connection to family, but when I came back, I came back and I was in like, I was just in a rough place. I was in a rough place spiritually. I came back highly educated, all this stuff, crap, so-called accolades, but I was just, I came back at bottom. And so having, I think, being in a place where you, you saw it resurrecting, I was able to connect with my own ability to raise up or to resurrect. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's perfect. So it was, it was connecting at that. Like I, I, I came home, literally, it was like it, the, the city fed me, the community nourished me back to wholeness. So at that time, were you already in ministry? Or? I was already in ministry, yeah. Ordained. I've been ordained about 10 years now. Okay, okay. <clears throat> All right, so being in New York, uh, in the pew, what, what's the difference in the flavor of being here in the pew, in ministry? Um, so I was always kind of here and there. My process formally, I was ordained in Michigan. So I was ordained um, Michigan Annual Conference. I always flew home to, I was connected to the AME Church here, fourth district. And so I was flew home for my process. I went to seminary in New York City. Um, the difference between, I would say, the pew there and here, 
know that there's any. I was in Harlem, traditional African-American churches, one of the first churches in Harlem, um, very historic. That church is probably about 200 years old. The church that I'm at here is 102. And so, I mean, they're very analogous, uh, very prominent male pastors. I think the church in Harlem probably has never had a female pastor. The church here in New York, I me mean, in Detroit is now has is now has its second female pastor um, as of last year. So, um, what church were you in Harlem? I was at First AME Bethel, okay. um, uptown, okay. 132nd. Okay, okay. And the first female pastor at your current church at St. Paul is was whom? Uh, she's now Bishop and Henning Byfield. And oh, yep. of course, and Bishop. That's my, yep, that was yes. my mentor. So she was the first female pastor here in Detroit, 1999. Yeah, trailblazer in her own right. Yes, for indeed. sure. Yeah. Yes, she is. Yeah. Wonderful. So you have been doing. So your current role in at St. Paul AME is mm-hmm. youth pastor. And so, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that I am not responsible. That's not the word, but I am committed to the spiritual, physical, psychological, emotional, academic, and anything in between development of young people um, that come into that church and that are even in that immediate community that um, we want to provide the tools and the resources for those, those youth and children to develop. Um, that we create safe spaces, whether it's in worship or outside of worship, for those young people to be whole and healthy children. Um, and just have access to live, be free, make mistakes, get back up again, but to learn and develop, um, I would say safely. I was gonna ask, just in reference to that, you have so much experience academically as well. So does that um, does that purview in understanding of, of your journey in, in academics, and you can share some of that as well, does, how does that come into play interacting with young people today? Um, in particular, you're talking about in the church setting? Yes. Okay. Well, it could be in church or it could be out of church. You could okay. just like run across somebody <laughs> in the neighborhood and it's like, hey right. man, get in the books. Well, it's, it's not even that. So, I mean, I, my first love, I'm a, I'm a brainiac. So I was at the Southfield Library before I came here. We were working on some geometry with one of my mentees. Um, but for me, the young people that I see, I know that education is access, right? Educate, like, it, it gives you that, that opportunity. I came up hard in Detroit. Like, I was that kid that you didn't really know what was going on in my life, but because I had my nose in the books, it, it was a pathway out. So for me, I, I, I emphasize it for young people because it's just opportunity. Whether I've ever had the opportunity to go to Australia and see the Great Barrier Reef, my imagination, like, I can, I can dream of Australia as opposed to the gunshots that's happening in the hood. And so education, I just believe, is just that access piece. 
So for me, when I, when I think of my work with children, it's really about giving them tools and access. We are, every kid is not necessarily gonna be the 4.0 student, that's okay. But whatever talent it is that you have, my goal is that we're gonna cultivate that. So I'll ask young people, well, what are your, your next steps? I met a young lady from King with a 2021 t-shirt on, made me feel old yesterday. <laughs> I was like, Lord Jesus, that would mean you graduate 20 years after I did, this is a problem. <laughs> but my question to her was, well, what do you want to do next? Uh, what's your next step? Do you want to go to college? Do you want to do trade school? She said, I want to be a business owner. Okay, well, what kind? And said, so I told her, I gave her my info, gave her my cell number, call me. I said, call me. Let's make sure you meet some business owners. You get some opportunities to go shadow and get an internship. And I guarantee you, any young person that calls me, that's why I lose a lot of sleep. But it's, I'm really, I will do my best to see it through. So I may not have gone to church today, but one of my mentees called me and was passionate about his geometry homework. I'm like, okay, let me find some time. I got an hour. And so for me, I, I always want to make sure that young people People feel like they have a safe, they got a phone, they have a phone call. So it's, it's, academics is just one component. You know, like the phone calls that I get, sometimes it's, man, I wish geometry was the light work. You know, sometimes you gotta you gotta sit down with some some heavy stuff because our kids are just facing so many things. So education is one part, but the other half is just knowing that they have a trusted adult. They have someone that is gonna listen to them and not gonna judge them, and that's gonna help them get the resources that they need. You know, to your point, our young people have so many issues, so many things that they have to deal with, that it, it makes me think of the question, what, what are the more prevailing themes or challenges that our young people are having, both in and out of the church? Because I presume they'll be one of the mm -hmm. same, but what are you hearing? Prevailing challenges. I would say, I use the term safety. Safety in so many ways. Safety in the neighborhood, safety in their homes. Um, our children are facing trauma. Like, when you, when you assess for trauma, you assess in the way that you ask a child, do they have a parent or a member of their household that's gone to prison or currently in prison? Have they ever been sexually abused? Um, have they ever, you know, uh, couch surfed or had uncertainty in living spaces? Um, food insecurity, physical abuse of themselves or, or a parent in the household. And when you assess a child for trauma in Detroit, what we find is that the rates of trauma are twi twice as high as national averages. And so our kids, whether it's in church, I mean, they face that same trauma in the church sometimes. Church is not always safe. So it's, it's, it's safe spaces, safe community spaces. Our, our library is safe, our school is safe, is the home. That's what I hear a lot. Um, kids want to go somewhere where they can just be safe, they can just be who they are, just be free. Because the other part is, is just, I think, from a psychological component, when you're not accepted. When you're not accepted, then you're vulnerable, right? And so then you have the runaway and homeless youth, and you know, you're just looking for somewhere to go and, and, and get rest. So as a youth pastor, how do you exercise that ideal and, and create that safe space in and in, let me pause there, I'll ask the next How do we execute that? <laughs> you know what, it's, that's so multifaceted. It is, I feel like sometimes I, 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 I'm, I have to kick in doors for kids. Um, in the church space, right? We wanna make sure that they belong. 
that they belong in our liturgy, that they belong in our worship services, right? That they have space to grow and figure it out. That they, you know, you have to, you know, tell uh, Sister Apple, Ju Apple Juice, you know, listen, kids run. <laughs> Don't, don't yell at my babies, they run. <laughs> like, that's okay, we gonna, you know, we gotta get past the, the fact that they're running and, and just welcome them. And so one aspect is, I would say, is just welcoming them. Um, also making sure that they have room. And so, like, I know that they're, they're active. I have a bunch of, um, a handful of boys, middle school age, and wherever there's a ball, they're gonna throw it. <laughs> Like, I know that, right? So they'll stay in trouble. I'm like, listen, I, I, I went and purchased them a bunch of sports equipment. Go outside. I tell the head of security of adults that I gave them permission. They're outside. They're being teenage, adolescent boys. It's okay. And so sometimes it's having hard conversations and getting, you know, right hooks and left hooks from people who say that this is church. <laughs> it and it's funny you bring that up as um, I've been connected to different groups. And I remember as a kid always feeling as though we're welcome as like a, a representative person, almost like a, like token children or something, mm. you know, Ooh. like token, like token black people or Ooh. something. So it's like yeah. we want like this is our youth group, yeah. but it's not representative of the thoughts and the feelings of who the youth are or where they're at. Yeah. And some of it is a, it's a give and take, yep. meaning that some of it may be the idealism of a young person needing to, you know, catch up with like what we can conceptualize in the reality. And then some of it is older people willing to step back and humble themselves to saying, okay, let's sit in this imagination mm -hmm. of where young people are. How do you bridge that gap because there are some, you know, even even with some of my younger content creators, like they'll come up with ideas and it's like, okay, let's scale this back and let's think about how we execute this. Yeah. Because I'm thinking of so many other, you know, they say the older you get, the more li you're like your parents. I'm thinking of all the stuff like my mom would say, like the liability, this could happen, that could happen, this person, da, 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 da. like how do you connect, bridge mm -hmm. those gaps? I mean, we got to break the rules. Um, if we ever want change, we got to break the rules. Jesus was countercultural. Jesus did not fit in the norm. And so at this point, I'm not there yet, but I'm trying to get there where I just am. Um, and so if I woke up and felt like going to church and sitting in the pulpit like this, like I've learned to accept that and that's just me. Um, and so what that means for a young person is they too then feel accepted. But then you find that there's that older person I was um, sharing with, um, Frida earlier, I was like about my chucks. Like at first it was one of those things, they'd be pointing and pointing. And then next thing you know, a few of the older people, they came up on a Sunday Hilarious. and they pointed to their chucks too. Hilarious. Huh? Hilarious. It was like, I had these in the closet. I was wearing <laughs> right. these before yeah, you. Like, so it's, it's sometimes breaking the rules, but also I think, and, and I know when I was younger, I was 24, 25, when I was first going through the ministerial process. So yeah, I had to show up in black suits and all that stuff. Um, and I mean, I have a version of a black suit, but I might turn it into a t-shirt and wear some colorful sneakers that it's a, it's a physical representation of it. But I would say I also do that theologically. I do that in my preaching, you know, so when I, when I'll throw a, uh, you know, I got loyalty, got royalty, you know, I'll slow it down. 
and you'll break the syllable and let them really hear what you're saying. And so we'll do a blend of a Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, 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 and talk about the existential reality of the, you know, we can pontificate if we need to, but then I think making it relevant for the kids of today and definitely, you know, blending, because my reality is blended, right? I studied the Bonhoeffers, but I also recognize the importance of KDOT and, 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 and hitting it with a young person asking them how much a dollar costs and understanding the countercultural narrative of Jesus, of Jesus flipping tables. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because you made reference to your shoes. I grew up uh, at Tabernacle and one of my peers, uh, my, my older brother by a year or two, uh, Michael Eric Dyson. Yeah. And so Mike ran, you know, grew up in Tabernacle running yeah. around the church and, you know, Michael's brilliant. He's always yeah. been, there's I never not been a moment <laughs> when this man just was not off the chain ridiculous smart. And even as a young person, it was just evident that he was going to do something significant. Mm -hmm. But the limitation of the, of the grown folk in the church, particularly around some of the leadership like the deacons, yeah. literally put him out one day because he didn't have one of the appropriate attire. And he tells the story mm -hmm. as an adult that has learned, as, as you have talked about, being able to understand both both sides of the corn, right? So mm -hmm. that you understand the, the traditionalism, the formality of the church and the struggles that we have in terms of getting uh, grown folk, old folk, if you will, to, to kind of open up yeah. and, and imagine as Kari said, the possibilities and, and having the ability to also articulate uh, a present day spiritual religious experience that young people can relate to. And so I see how he plays out in his conversation mm -hmm. with rap and how he narrates and preaches and all oh, of yeah. that. And so you never know, I say that to say, you never know how what you are doing because my father stepped in and brought him back into yeah. that, that, that church and said, you are whole as you are. Now let's take this journey together. It takes that kind of visionary leadership mm -hmm. to make a difference in, in folks' lives and little people, young people's lives in particular. Mm -hmm. And are you seeing are you seeing how your influence is making a difference in the children that you are impacting, the young people? I think so. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's gradual. Sometimes you're not sure. Um, I think I had to become sure in myself that that was okay. I remember, remember meeting, uh, remember my college, we met um, Michael Eric Dyson when I was in college, probably my sophomore, junior year, and he just resonated with me. And so I holler if you hear me, um, that, that spoke to me. So like all through, literally all through seminary, Tupac was in every presentation. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> He was in everyone. Those people were sitting in there like, what? <laughs> Listen, is the, I mean, but that was the question. And, you know, I wonder if heaven has, you know, got a ghetto. Uh, where do I fit in? Is was that question. And so I find, you know, it really says is that no matter who you are, there is a space for you in this. And I think that's, I think that's part of my role is saying that there's room at the table for all of us. I couldn't have done that maybe five or 10 years ago. Wisdom, and so I got in trouble a few times, but you know I'm learning to push the the boundary. We I, I was just elected um, the coordinator for women in ministry for the state, and so that morning, you know, I'm getting dressed, trying to get my life together, figuring it out. And so essentially, I wore a version of this. I wore these purple sneakers. I just had bought them, 
um, down in somewhere out of town, and I just thought they were dope. And the purple obviously goes with womanist theology and womanism, and I'm like, you know, the colors of the rainbow. I'm more, I'm more inclusively leaning with respect to my theology around the LGBTQIA, and so it just it was a it was a way of representing um, my beliefs as well. I, I, I sometimes symbolic, and so that morning I decided I said I'm gonna throw them wearing these sneakers. I was nervous. You don't feel them look like. Just the coordinator or the president walking in. And you know, the really dope thing was that they were like, I, I, we found out that I was the youngest one that had been elected. And I was nervous about doing it, but somehow or another, you trusted me. You trusted my intellect. You trusted my spirituality. And you know, hey, the rest of it is just outward shell. So, um, you know, I think we have to be subversive in ways we can't slap it all away at once. But um, I think part of it is someone has to sit at the table and set it, and make sure that it's set for everybody. And so it's making sure that it's set for the children. And, the, and it really recognizing that the, ch the children are so diverse. That's one thing that's happening with the group of children that I work with now. I mean, I, they all are so different. They all have different needs, different background. Um, and so how is it that we create a space that serves all of them? Okay, so as we get closer to the close, and this has been a great discussion, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to bring back another discussion, and you may have to bring your granddad Axel to uh, <laughs> yeah, talk awesome. about <laughs> a lot of these city streets and yeah. everything. One of the questions that I have is um, outside of like like where do you see moving forward to your journey in the city of Detroit, and and also like the the two part of that, the second half of that is do you see your Yourself here in the future to come. Yeah, I definitely see myself here long term. Um, my future is just building, building community somehow, whether it's serving as the youth pastor on the east side of Detroit or other steps. Um, I think I think in terms of uh, business owner is, is one of those things that I aspire to do, having some kind of healthy food um, place in, you know, east side. I live northeast Detroit, seven mile Van Dyke area. When I need to eat dinner, I have to drive far. <laughs> I, I just can't buy dinner in the neighborhood. So something in that way, and you know, maybe even, I've, I've considered politics, I'm not sure, um, but just finding a way to serve my people. So wherever I can serve my people best, that's where I'll be, and I'll be in Detroit. Okay. I've got to ask this question. Kari knows this question is coming because it always comes from me. So you talked about how diverse your babies are. Tell me what your thoughts are around how does the church stay relevant, become relevant again um, to young people in our community, the black church in particular, to young people in our community. What is it the church is going to have to do to be uh, relevant to our young people moving forward, both today and moving forward? I would say we have to serve them, meet them where they are. One, you got to go get them because they're just not, they're not coming to church. And so it might mean going out and doing something different, countercultural. If, if you're having church in the park or just something outside of the norm because the brick and mortar of the church is just not there. I think the other part 
is it's serving the need. I think the church has lost its it's lost its swag with like you know when it, when 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 the, when the word says you you know you're supposed to set the oppressed free, whether you need clothes on your back, a roof on your head, job training, things of that nature. Folks have needs, so folks will come and they'll have a need and it can't be met and they leave. Mm-hmm. And so it's really being what we used to be. We were a social center. We 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 served our folks. Do you think that the church is going to be able to rise to that occasion? Um, I th- there's some that are doing it. And the other part is, is that, and this is the thing, I, I think we sometimes, we because the needs, <laughs> because we're not accept, we also have to be welcoming. We've got to open the door. We've got to accept folks for who they are, where they are, regardless of their socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, gender expression. We just have to open the door. And I think, unfortunately, because there's been no room at the table and we have been exclusive, you know, if we don't open the door and become welcoming, that's that's going to be our demise. Agreed. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having this me. This was a Thank great you. discussion. It was wonderful. Love spending time with you. Likewise. You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.